When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated, and right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. I, it's Film Study with Tim McCusick once again. We're going to look back again at this 24-23 loss the Ravens had. Um, get into how the offense played and get into the end of the game and should the Ravens have gone for two. We'll get to that as well. So, Tim McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing well. I'm, uh, I'm excited that the week's almost over because it means there's a new game coming up. We're going to get the... Uh, Panthers soon and then we can forget about this game but let's look back a little bit because every game we learned something new very much true something something new we we saw a couple young guys get their first NFL starts in this last game Bradley Bozeman Orlando Brown that was very exciting a lot of people waiting for the offensive line article which just came out today a little tardy we're on Thursday night here recording the offensive podcast which is at least a day later than we normally do it 
Uh, but some exciting stuff to talk about. Yeah, and I and I we definitely got to talk about those young guys because we've been waiting to see Orlando Brown on a little more action and Bozeman as well. But now's the time for me to learn a little bit and me step back. So we're going to bring in a guest to talk about this whole bash concept because I don't understand it. I need to learn. So let's bring in Michael Crawford and talk about the bash. Hey, Michael, how you doing? I'm doing good, Ken. How are you doing tonight? And Josh, how are you guys doing? Doing well. Can't, can't complain, not even a little bit. So uh, let's, let's explain who Michael is for a second. I met Michael, uh, oh, got to be six months ago or so by now. Very interested film guy who is in the process of going through the scouting academy uh routine yeah yeah actually finished the uh summer semester um kind of right at the end of september there uh plan to go back uh after this season and and do another summer semester try to get through some more position groups uh, i got through about three or four position groups in this semester i want to go back and and uh get the other four eight you know in total so uh, great experience, learned a lot, still learning a lot, and uh, looking forward to to learning more. All right. Well, very cool. And and I, I follow you, of course, on Twitter, and you're at Abukari, correct? That's correct. All right. And he, he posts all sorts of GIFs, and the GIFs, if you're uh, one of these immediate gratification people in particular, you'll love, you click on them, and you get Michael's analysis, and he's very uh, concise with it in terms of how he does it. It's, it's very good uh, football terminology and, and, and explanation of various things. And, and tonight you're going to do something along those lines for us, right? I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to, um, there's a, a concept that I, uh, kind of shared on Twitter and, uh, I should give some credit, uh, as far as that goes too, because I'm certainly, uh, not the one who identified it. So first I'm talking about Lamar Jackson's, uh, touchdown at the end of the second quarter there, that, that, that rushing touchdown, uh, but a couple guys on Twitter actually posted the clip of the touchdown shortly after it happened. So um, guys like Betts, uh, that's B-E-T-Z, uh, at Betts on Twitter, if you want to check him out, or Seth Galena, or um, probably the person who went the most in-depth and kind of illustrated it is a guy named Cody Alexander. Uh, and he's at the Coach A on Twitter. Um, Are these all Scouting a, Academy guys? Uh Seth, I think might be. I don't. I don't know that Betsy is, and I and I don't think that Coach Alexander is. Um, he's a high school defensive coordinator in Texas. Actually, used to be a graduate assistant at Baylor uh, back in the day under Art Bryles. Might have actually been there when RG three was there too. I'm actually not sure the the time frame for him there, but uh, no, just some guys who who you know took the the TV copy replay and said, "Hey, isn't this the bash concept?" Because I think. Um, on the TV broadcast, they refer to it as zone read. And these guys are like, wait a minute, I don't think that's zone read. So um, we can talk about that a little bit, about what BASH is and kind of how it works and, and, and what it stands for. But I, I did want to credit those guys because it, it wasn't me who initially you know, pointed it out. All right. Well, credit credit then to the right people. Let's talk it. Set up the play a little bit. So the Ravens had a it was a third and goal from the two-yard line. They were on the two-yard line anyway. And they had they had uh, uh, a two man pull from left to right with Stanley and Bozeman on that play, correct? That's correct. Uh, and so, what's kind of cool about it is, it it really looks a lot like the zone read package that they've used with Jackson, where you have him in the shotgun, and I think in that particular case, you had Alex Collins lined up to his right. And so, what typically happens in their zone read package is. 
they'll read the backside defensive end. So um, Collins or whoever the ball, the other ball carrier is in the backfield with with Jackson will sort of come towards him uh, in, in a mesh. You know, they kind of call that a mesh point. And what Jackson is reading is that backside DN. So if that DN crashes towards the running back, if he gets his shoulders turned uh, perpendicular to the line of scrimmage, like he wants to come and chase down uh, the running back from behind, if Jackson gives him the ball, then Jackson will pull the ball and try to run around that outside edge, kind of vacated by the DN. If the DN keeps his shoulders square, uh, more perpendicular to the line of scrimmage and kind of holds his ground, then Jackson will give the ball to the running back who's sort of running an inside zone uh, type track uh, to the other side of the play. So it looks very, so Bash looks very similar to that. But where, here's where it's different is the B-A in the word Bash, so B-A-S-H, uh, stands for back away, right? So you get that same type of action with the running back sort of crossing in front of the quarterback. But when you go back and look at that play, you'll see that, uh, Collins's path is more parallel to the line of scrimmage, so his shoulders aren't facing the line of scrimmage as much. Uh, usually you kind of see like a 45-degree sort of angle there because they're looking to hit uh, in the B-gap particularly or maybe even bounce it to, to the C uh, on that inside zone type concept. But he's almost like a jet sweep type action running <laughs> completely parallel to the line of scrimmage. And what that's designed to do is pull a defender or two out of the box. Could be two linebackers. Uh, in this case, it was a linebacker uh, and a safety uh, who, who were down. And I think it was safety Marcus Williams who was down in the box. And so that action of the running back running away again, you know, back away in bash pulls one or two of those defenders out of the box. And then you get the counter action that you mentioned where you get um, your left guard and left tackle in this case, backside guard, backside tackle pulling almost like an old counter trade look. Um, and I guess you really could could say this is just like a, a, a QB counter type read too, right? Just a design quarterback run with counter action, two guys pulling to the front side, but that back moving away adds the bash element to it. So that's why it's, it's a little bit different than, than QB, uh, than tr uh, traditional QB counter type run. So it's a really interesting concept when those guys pull uh, typically you're only going to have maybe one or two other defenders left on that side. You'll have the DN who you left unblocked, uh, mm -hmm. like you would do in traditional zone read. And, uh, the guard probably will get him cause he'll pick up, you know, sort of the first color he sees and you've got the tackle coming in behind and he can pick up, uh, that safety or that extra inside linebacker who maybe held in the box or maybe is re is reacting, um, a step or two late because he, he took a step in, in, in the direction to chase Collins. So uh, usually has um, a, a pretty, a pretty good effect uh, in terms of showing the defense, you know, something that they, they think they've seen throughout the game, but uh, sort of tweaking it so that it's slightly different. And I think that's what happened on, on that play. So two things about the play that really strike me. One is when, when people talk about most RPO plays and and most zone read plays or read plays really of any sort, the quarterback never turns his back to, as if to hand off on a running back that might trigger play action. He needs to keep his head forward for all that decision making. Correct? Correct. Okay. Right. Yeah, correct. Absolutely. Because, again, he's reading – Typically something in this case, it was it was the DN. I think we've seen them uh, run a couple of passing concepts this year with Jackson off of that same uh, sort of zone action where he's reading a second level defender. Right. He might be reading a linebacker 
who's dropping uh, to to try and throw a slant or you know a, a quick sort of dig, a quick square in route behind that linebacker. If he reacts up uh, to the run mesh, you can kind of throw in a route behind him. And that that's the other cool thing about this this zone read and even bash concept is you can have a whole series off of it. So. There's counter bash, which is what they ran on that play because you get the counter action, the guard and the the backside guard and tackle pulling front side. There's power bash where you can kind of have your traditional power run look where you just pull one backside puller, traditionally a guard. There's zone bash (laughs) where you can block it uh, like a zone concept front side without pulling anybody, just kind of have your regular zone combos between um, a tight end or a tackle or a tackle guard or a center guard. Uh, and then, of course, there's a whole another series of maybe p- short passing concepts that you can run off of off of that as well. So uh, I think the creativity that you have there is kind of is kind of really limitless. And when you have a guy like Jackson, um, you know, it allows you to do those kinds of things. Yeah. So on this on this particular play, what impressed me most about it was how well the three blocks at the point of attack were executed. So you've got the seal block from Orlando Brown is just terrific. Keeps that edge defender on the right side. Actually, not the edge defender, but it's the defensive tackle squared away with his, almost perpendicular to the goal line, you know, the way he ends up uh, uh, torquing him. And then you have Bozeman, who has to go out and make probably the most difficult uh, pull of the group and hit uh, number 94, Cameron Jordan, who's uh, the, the Saints' best lineman, their Saints' best defensive player for now close to a decade. And then you have Stanley, who has the legs and Jackson, who has the patience behind him, to get into level two and hit Marcus Williams, the safety there. And all three of those blocks were executed, for my money, perfectly or as well as they could be. Bozeman did kind of bounce off his, but the damage was done already in terms of getting Cameron Jordan out of the play. Does does everything need to work perfectly in terms of blocks for that play to work on, on the counter basis? Or can it still some things not work and then Jackson's creativity could still have dug the Ravens out? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, I think what you see on that play is, you know, there's a there's there's different ways that that defensive uh, coordinators would would maybe teach it, their their defensive players to react to some of those blocks. So with a puller, um, whether it's in that counter situation or even in in power, where you just have one puller instead of two pullers, sometimes they'll teach. Uh, that defender on the opposite side, in this case, let's just use what happened, Cameron Jordan, uh, to spill that pulling player. And what that basically means is to take that player on um, in, in such a way, and I won't get into like super technical parts, but to take that player on in, in, in such a way that they push him back or push him into the running back who's coming behind them to kind of to create a, a pile up, if you will, mm-hmm. and force that running back or that ball carrier, in this case, Jackson, to bubble outside of the pulling guard so that they have to get wide and, and kind of stretch that play out. Because, of course, that gives the, the, the pursuit sure. and the defense a chance to get out there and chase that play down. And when you have, you know, a really good athlete as a ball carrier in Jackson, even if he was forced to bubble that way you still feel like you have a shot for him to get outside and get around that corner and, and, and beat the pursuit. And, and that's kind of how Cam Jordan played it on that play. He, 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 well, actually no, he, he did the opposite. Uh, he sort of kept his outside arm free, almost like he was setting the edge that you see sometimes in outside mm-hmm. defenders to try to force the ball inside of him. Uh, and, and that actually, you know, really played into the design of the play for Jackson to cut inside 
um, of Bozeman's block and then, you know, also have another lead blocker with Stanley coming around. So the way that Cam Jordan played that actually sort of benefited, I think, the design of the play. But uh, again, if he had done it the other way, if he had tried to spill that block, uh, when you've got an athlete like Jackson, you feel like you still have a chance for the play to be successful. Now, do you think this was designed to only go with Jackson to the right side, the way they had the two pullers, or was what would have been the second option that he's reading for had he decided something was not right on the right side? Yeah, it would have been a little bit more difficult, I think, to give the ball to Collins in that situation. I think I don't know if he has the option to do that. Again, this is the first time that I've seen them run that concept in a game. Who knows what they've been practicing. But unlike a traditional zone read where you really do have that option, where if, if again, like I said, if you see that backside DN crash, uh, you know, stay out wide, then you can hand the ball off to the back and he'll kind of run, uh, you know, the zone inside zone concept, the opposite, you know, on the opposite side of the play. Whereas here with Bash, if he were to not like something on that backside, you know, maybe there are too many guys there and he, and, or they're, they're, you know, they're, they're into a run blitz or something like that, where he's like, you know, even with the pullers, this just isn't going to be a good look for us. So he tries to, to just give the ball to Collins on kind of that, that jet sweep, or it's not a jet sweep, but he, he's taking that sort of path. Um, there's still a chance that maybe that works out. Uh, if you go back to that play, I think you'll see uh, one of the Saints linebackers really stretch out wide with Allen going uh, with, you know, with Collins going that opposite way. So maybe Collins can beat that guy out in space and, and, and maybe not. So I think that could be an option that's built into it. We'd have to, I'd have to see them run it a few more times to see if that's something that they ever do. But uh, it could also, I think in this case, it was just a, a design QB keeper all the way, but they might have something like that built into it as well. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It, it it looks like it was a short side of the field for Collins, which is another place you have less space to beat him with. And you, Jackson, then you give him the extra yardage to the right sideline because the ball is on the left hash of the snap to 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 have much more space to operate. So uh, obviously the defense knows this, and they line up an extra half guy or guy on that side, depending on how you look at it. But uh, uh, great play design. I really love the, the fact that they're willing to, to do things like this. And so many bad things get said about the Ravens' run game. I'm, I'm glad to have the QB sneaks going well this week and this kind of a play going well, at least, even if they're still not getting the number of breakaway runs they need to get. Yeah, and it's funny. You mentioned the, the run game and kind of how they've been struggling. You know, every, everybody obviously is aware of that. And I, uh, I tweeted something about that uh, yesterday. Uh, to to Dev actually Dev uh, I, I always right. butchered De- yeah th- thank you I always butchered Dev's last name uh, but I know you've had him on as a guest a couple times and I said you know uh, I wanted to be clear I'm not calling for them to replace Flacco in any shape form or fashion he's playing very well uh, you definitely want him in there but uh, I think that their running game would actually probably be a little more effective with Jackson in at QB. Uh, just because of uh, sort of a, a, a conceptual schematic kind of thing, right? When you have a quarterback like Jackson in who has the threat to run the ball, the defense has to account for that quarterback as another runner, right? So it gives the offense a numbers advantage. Because uh, yeah. typically, you know, you're playing 11 on 10 in the run game, typically when you have a quarterback who's not a threat to run. But when you've got a guy like Jackson, now it's 11 on 11, and you can do some different things, you know, in terms of angles, in terms of blocking, in terms of other schematic variables 
that can really kind of help your run game. So I don't know kind of what they do with that. I don't know if we see Jackson more, uh, you know, in, in, than what we've seen up to this point to try to give the running game a boost or not. You know, maybe they feel like, hey, we'll just keep plugging away with our, our concepts and, you know, eventually it'll hit. And I think that that probably is true, too. I think eventually it will hit uh, in a game or they'll pop some runs. And even when that happens, you know, we, we couldn't necessarily say, oh, the run game is fixed. You know, that's not how it works. I mean, it's a game by game thing. You know, you can hit in a game and, and, and have some good running numbers and feel like, ah, we're back on track. And then the next week you struggle again. I mean, that's just life in the NFL. There you go. Well, anyway, thank you, uh, Michael, for joining us. We really appreciate you taking time late at night to get this out here. And uh, a great play, a fun play to look at and, and really dive in a little deeper. We'd love to have you on again another time to talk about this kind of in-depth way about a particular play. Well, thanks, Ken and Josh. Thank you both the guys for having me on and kind of kind of hanging in there with me. I've got a, a six, six-year-old daughter right now, and unfortunately, uh, you know, kids really don't care much about your schedule. So. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Well, great, great having you on, Michael. Hey, Josh, any questions for Michael? Uh, no, I'm just, I mean, I want to get, I think it's funny to talk about bringing Lamar in would improve the run game. I think we all agree that it would hurt yes. the passing game. So I think there's definitely a balance there. And I think that now's a great time that we should transition into talking about Joe Flacco and what he's been doing differently with the run this year. How great have those been? Just time after time, he's succeeding with the QB sneak, and he's uh, breaking through and uh, you know getting to the second level. But he's he's had a, uh, a a really special set of runs this year. And on the website, you can go out there and take a look at them. There's there's 18 runs, including one special case, which is a run that got reversed to a sack. But just to break that down a little bit, and I think that's really necessary with quarterback runs because they fall into a lot of specialized categories that need to be treated separately. So let's talk through that really quickly. There were six times where Joe has kneeled in the victory formation. All those actually were at the end of a game. So all those plays are successes by definition. They're not trying, of course, to gain yardage, and they're certainly not trying to convert first downs. It's just a matter of getting the game over with. So that takes out six of those plays right away. He's had a number of scrambles from a passing situation. So that's what a scramble is. You drop back to pass, and then you run for positive yardage. And he's had several of those, too. One, two, three, four of those. Okay, and all for uh, well, three of those for a yard and then a fourth one. That's a special case that got was a yard originally and then was reversed to be a sack for no gain. But those, again, are not the running plays we're focused on. We really want to focus on the QB sneaks themselves. We have to pair those out of the running stats as well. In week one, there was a fumbled exchange from center that may have been a running play. Probably was not a running play to Flacco. In fact, almost certainly was not. So I think we take that one out of there as well. That was a run up the middle for zero yards where he just didn't handle the snap from, from center. Might have been the center's fault. Might have been his. He fell on the fumble anyway, and, they, and the uh, play continued. Uh, and then he's had uh, several other designed runs, two of them, in fact, where uh, one he was against Denver, where he had a five-yard designed run to convert a third and one, which is kind of nice, but I don't, con- I don't include it with the quarterback sneaks because it was a really a misdirection, naked boot for a five-yard run that, uh, that he made work, and that's wonderful, uh, but it's not what we're looking for here. 
What we want to talk about is the six other runs, which are quarterback sneaks. Now, all of those have been third and one or fourth and one situations. So there's been uh, five of them. Actually, it looks like seven. No, no, there we go. Six of them. Uh, there have been five third and ones and one fourth and one. So the he's converted all six of those. But what really sticks out is the yardage on these plays. So normally you have the Drew Brees type quarterback sneak where it's a real question whether he got to the line at all and he's credited a, a yard based on this bogus uh, reaching across the plane of the yard to gain, which is not even a thing. Or you know you, you lose track of where he is in the pile and there's no apparent way he made it, but right. they but they are are ruling him positive in the closest situations. Flacco, none of that. The Raven quarterback sneaks have been actually outstanding in terms of their ability to make space for Joe to get yardage, and he's had a gain of two, four gains of three, and we're talking about a quarterback sneak now. Three yards is a lot, and one gain of four in this last game, which I said you know we got to start talking about this because this is really ridiculous in terms of the way that they've designed these quarterback sneaks differently from other teams do it in order to get more yardage all right and that's so, that's good that that gets me into my question for you is what what are they doing differently what makes this year different because joe we've watched joe for many years we, we think of big quarterbacks as far as these qb sneaks we don't think of joe as a guy that's going to be in there pushing Right. Well, Joe's a, Joe's a tall quarterback, and a lot of people say, hey, 240-pound quarterback gives you a good chance to, to get that yard you need. But, you know, again, I would agree that, that you know, you don't want to necessarily put your quarterback at risk is something you hear. And, you know, getting multiple yards, getting, you know, two, three, four yards on a quarterback sneak, just nobody's doing that around the league. They You know, you get, you get one yard, and sometimes you get two yards. But the Ravens, they get three yards on average on their quarterback sneaks, and that just is just absurd. So you really need to get into what's going on on the inside, and we saw a little bit in this last game, but the Ravens have found a way to have six guys block four at the point of attack so that most teams defensively will line up when a quarterback sneak is threatened by putting a guy over each A-gap. So the A-gap is, 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 directly, is between the center and guard on either side, and you can have one guy straight up on the guard, and that's I, I would still consider that covering the A-gap, uh, sometimes it's two guys lined up right over the center's shoulder, and to do that, you have to you have to get a little lighter somewhere else along the line. But most commonly, you have two guys each guarding that a gap very closely, and that will force teams to really think about whether or not they want to sneak for a yard. But the Ravens have found a way to block that up inside, and despite the fact I think we agree, the Ravens have, do not have earth movers along that offensive line, particularly right. on the inside where where Matt Skura is, you know, is not an earth mover and uh, and Lewis has not really been an earth mover in his time at left guard. But now they've got Bozeman there who is a little bit of a heavier uh, duty guy in terms of earth moving. At uh, at right guard they have Yonda who's uh, you know a talented guy in terms of what he can do. And now the big addition this week was that Orlando Brown can still be a big asset to that uh, sneak. And what, he's, what he did... And it's out there on the website in terms of a GIF. You can look through this on, on my article. But he got behind Yonda and he pushed him forward, which allowed Yonda to create one of the easiest pancake blocks I've ever seen him have against an opposing D-tackle where he pushed him over as, as if he was a defensive back. That's all I can say. He, he pancaked him as flat on his back as he possibly could have. Skura looked in both directions. Now, Skura's at center. The A-gaps are covered. Normally... Skura would have to contribute to a block either to his left or to his right. But to his left, 
Bozeman and Boyle, because they had an uh, they had a unbalanced formation. Bozeman and Boyle took one defensive tackle, and to his right, Yanda is pancaking a guy kind of solo, but actually with a push from behind him from Orlando Brown, and that allowed Skura to actually move into level two and make a block on the inside linebacker, which is something you just don't see. Uh, but but it's happened a couple times on the Ravens sneaks this year, and uh, and the the sixth man in that was was Ronnie Stanley, who came in and blocked. Another player uh, lined up unbalanced on the right side. So I know that's a lot to take in, you know, in terms of a description. But go out to the website, take a look at the gifts from this, or go to your Game Pass and look at the play involved. It's the quarterback sneak for for four yards, uh, and uh, really was a play to watch over and over to really see what's going on. But with that sort of an unstoppable seeming ability and scheme to do that, it really opens up some new avenues for the Ravens in terms of how they can approach third and short in terms of this so i you know the first thing i say is i don't like the idea anymore of tossing wide on third and one because that has the risk of a negative play that will negate your fourth down options so if you if you lose three yards on third and one all of a sudden it's fourth and four and you really have to punt but if you if you try and run the qb sneak on third and one or you even run a pass play as we're going to talk about in a minute on third and one then that still gives you options to run the qb sneak on fourth and one so I don't like any any more you know run plays to the outside which have the risk of developing slowly and having uh, having a loss involved. Gotcha. So Actually, what so what you're saying is what the, we we all know as Raven fans what the Ravens like to do is on third and seven they like to throw at six. Now you you're go. saying we've got an option after that third and six. Yeah, and that's and in fact uh, that's the great option. The one of the really great. I'm glad you brought that up because. If you get fourth and one after third and third and seven, now think about that. The defense your other team will have will probably be light. I mean, if it was the Ravens you're facing, a third and seven is going to be the dime. Right. They're going to bring a six defensive backs on the field, which means they have a very light front five only trying to defend against a quarterback sneak. That's extremely hard to do. So the Ravens ought to run no huddle immediately following such a play and then convert a fourth and one fairly easily with a sneak under those circumstances. Just don't allow the defense to switch personnel. Yeah. Uh, if they try, you snap the ball, you get the penalty, you get you get it done. Yeah, the only problem with that is the Ravens aren't really known for, for making fast decision makings for that no huddle. And I feel like especially going into a fourth down play, uh, I can't see Joe making that call on the field himself. I, 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 I agree with you to a point, but what I was saying is once they've got that good at the quarterback sneak and they're confident in it, they've got to be able to call it quickly. Yeah, and I so guess basically, sure. yeah. at that point, Harbaugh has got to say, all right, we're going for it here. If you can get within one yard, just call the, call the sneak and set it up ahead of time. Exactly right. Exactly right. So they call two plays effectively in the previous right. huddle on third and six or whatever. So that's a good one. Now, Let's think back to another third and one situation because you could just run the QB sneak in that situation and the linebackers, whoever's on the field is going to be biting on it like nobody's business because they know how good the, the Ravens are at running the sneak. Right. But that opens up all sorts of play action opportunities. So if you're, let's say, at your own 40 or better in terms of the, the, the where you are on the field, you know you can probably go for it on fourth and one. And that gives you the option on third and one to try a play-action pass where you then hit one of the Ravens' tight ends. And they're going to have tight ends on the field all the time. They also, of course, got wide receivers who can run all sorts of routes. But the big opportunity is going to be get those linebackers to bite and hit that tight end off the, over the middle of the field where it's going to, there's going to be a huge open hole uh, for, for, a, for a big play. So you know, multiple options are open because the Ravens are good at the QB sneak. It's not just the sneak itself. 
So uh, third and one becomes a two-down opportunity. You can you can treat it with a run. You can treat it with a pass. Uh, you know what you mentioned in terms of of third and six, third and seven is a great thing. Is you know get close. You don't have to necessarily get it, but it opens up some of those short of the sticks passes that Joe's been known for in the past to get right. five instead of getting six and then create an opportunity for the sneak. So uh, I, I hope that's something the Ravens will use and use very aggressively in the in the rest of the season, at least with how good they have have uh, been at, at the sneak. It, it's funny. It's an interesting time to bring the sneak up and to uh, for them to be really good at the sneak because in previous years or even before we saw the sneak start to work, you would look at that and say, well, the Ravens are going to mix things up by using Lamar. And yeah, and they've we've seen them start to use Lamar on third down, and yeah, now Lamar is there's another good, option. Yeah, Lamar's a good third and two, third and three guy, and a lot of those third and twos and third and threes can become fourth and ones with Lamar coming up just short. But Lamar's also had a very high uh, probability of converting his runs on third and two, third and three. So it's not like I dislike the usage of him, but he's also got to be able to direct that quarterback sneak. Uh, right out of the huddle. So he's got to be able to get back to the line of scrimmage and be the guy on fourth down as well. And in some ways, I like that better because I like less risk for Flacco in terms of sticking his head in there, uh, even though the Ravens have been very right. good at it and, and, and getting it done. Well, except it's interesting. He doesn't have to be the guy to call the hurry up because Joe is always on the field at the same time. You know, good point. So there's no point. reason. So go right back to Joe. There's no reason Joe goes back for fourth and Lamar goes out as a, as a wide receiver. We have all wanted to see him go out as a wide receiver. You do it on that, you're expecting the the the, the QB sneak, but you're also thinking about this this guy who's out there. Yeah. Yeah, that her. would be actually pretty cool if the first pass to Lamar, Lamar happens on a fourth and one opportunity where Lamar has just failed on third and three right. to get the first <laughs> right. down. That would be very cool. It's, uh, <laughs> it sounds a little scary, uh, but yeah. if it works, it's an exciting play. Yeah, boy, that would that be fun. Um, so anyway, lots of opportunities coming out of yeah. the state. All right, how about ample time and space with Joe? So Joe had a good game of ample time and space. And this is one thing I really don't understand because PFF is just bashing the hell, frankly, out of the Ravens' line in terms of the individual grades they give the guys. But the Ravens keep showing up as one of the least pressured teams in the entire NFL. They're obviously not giving up a lot of sacks. They only had one in this game. That sack was all on Boyle. It was a, it was a straight one-on-one -on -one matchup loss for Boyle that led to a sack. They had one quarterback hit in the game. I gave two-thirds of that to Stanley, but the rest of it was a unblocked rusher who came off the edge. Stanley effectively gave up a pressure on the play. Okay. So it's 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 a case where I don't really understand the, the grading differences that, that completely that may exist between us because the, the, the grade they give particularly to Bradley Bozeman, and I, you know, if you have PFF, go look at it. I'm I, My subscription agreement says I'm not allowed to tell you exactly what it was, <laughs> but it's terrible. Right. <laughs> And it's just one of these things. They're watching a different game. Bozeman had a very good game in pass protection. And the more I think about it, you know, one of the two pass rush events I gave him was actually a pass defense at the line of scrimmage. It was a batted pass. And usually I, I, my recollection from previous discussions with the PFF people is that they don't charge linemen for that. I don't like it. I'm tighter on pressures than they are. But, but they usually don't charge that in linemen. They charge it on Flacco. So uh, it, this is a really weird case where I just don't get it. I do not get why they think he had a bad game. I thought his game was very good. In particular, he was outstanding in his run blocking. He made, he made a bunch of pull blocks. But anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Ample time space right. is where we are. They're giving him lots of ample time space. This one was 21 out of 40, 53%. Again, I'm tight on pressures. 
Uh, and, and I think that, that uh, that's a very above average result for the last couple of years anyway. Uh, Flacco threw for 9.1 yards on average with ATS. Uh, without ATS, he threw for 4.1 yards. The 9.1 is a good total. It's a great total when you have two TDs and zero interceptions. Without ATS, he had 4.1. And again, that's just an average total, but when you throw in no interceptions, it becomes a very good total because without ATS is where a lot of the interceptions happen. Overall, just 20 yards better than, than expected yardage. Conditions are pretty good, but again, having no interceptions and two touchdowns, Flacco had a very good game. So uh, very positive, both in terms of the number of opportunities given to, to Joe in this game and also how he converted them into results. So I think uh, no problems there for either Lion or Joe. All right, well, that's awesome, especially when we were going into a, the game with the line extremely beat up. So let's get to the line. Um, as, as a whole, you said the offensive line did well. Yeah, they. I mean, they did. They only had one – the one sack was allowed by Boyle. Flack, Flacco was knocked down one other time. Uh, the Ravens' offensive line was not penalized in the is, entire game. Is that – that's different this year, right? The Ravens have really scaled back on penalties this year. You know, I, they had certain players who were not getting penalized last year. Jensen was penalized three times in week one and then was not penalized the rest of the season except for one flag that came after a drive was already over. So really, uh, the, the they've had various players who have been good with penalties gotcha. over the years. Yonda's always been pretty good. Uh, my recollection is Yonda was bad with penalties at the beginning of last year. So in any case, there's a... They have been better, I think, this year. Skura was coming off a game where he had two holding calls last week, but he, he was not penalized this week. They've been, I think they've had fewer false starts, among other things, this year, which has re been really nice. All right. Um, well, let's talk about the individual linemen, and let's start with Stanley. Yeah, a good game for Stanley. Stanley. Um, he's been playing really well, very very consistently this year. He hasn't had that one fall off the table game. Uh, he did have one D, but in, but in this game, uh, he allowed a PD when he when he disengaged from Okafor. That was fairly early in the game on the Ravens' first drive. He also uh, was bowled by Davenport, who's the rookie they, that the Saints jumped in front of the Ravens to draft. Actually, at number fourteen, uh, he. Um, did not pick up Rankins on a, t on a stunt on one thing. So he had his various failures, but you're allowed to give up some pressures at tackle. Pressures are, are, are fairly minimal pass rush events, but the, you want to avoid letting the quarterback get hit. And he did let get two-thirds of a quarterback hit charge, no sack charge, of course, as I mentioned before, .77 per play, a B after adjustment. Uh, and again, if he could play that well, I think every single game, I think that would be a level the Ravens would be very happy with. All right. Uh, you mentioned Bozeman a little bit earlier, but he was filling in for Lewis. Yeah, filling in, and, and who knows who has the job now because he's played well. I, I, the Ravens only played with six offensive linemen to start this game, and you mentioned that uh, that they were banged up. But Ronis Grassu was their only backup lineman available, and he's a backup interior guy. If they had needed a tackle, boy, I mean, I guess they would have had to move Yonda out to the outside. It would have been very scary. It was scary when Bozeman went down with what seemed to be cramps. It was a calf injury of some sort and a calf injury that has kept him out of practice on Wednesday. But he uh, did not uh, uh, he, he did not stay out of the game. He came back and missed 12 total snaps. Uh, so he had 52 plays in the game. I had him for two pressures allowed, one of those a pass defense uh, in the game where I don't think that PFF would have charged him. I have him at .83 per play with an adjustment that's a B at guard. Um, 
I, I just I saw the game completely differently from how PFF scored. That's all I can say. In terms of his run blocking, he made all five of his poles. That's just terrific. Very good at lining up his opponent, being decisive about who he's hitting when he pulls from from uh, left to right. On Jackson's touchdown, he and Stanley both pulled from left to right. Uh, beautiful two-man pull. They each took a guy, Bozeman on the outside versus uh, Jordan, Cameron Jordan, their best defensive lineman. And uh, uh, Stanley went into level two and caught their safety, Marcus Williams. And that cleared the way for uh, for Jackson to easily slip into the end zone. Um, at the same time, we had a nice seal block from um, uh, the right tackle, uh, Orlando Brown, and opened up a huge gaping hole that, uh, that frankly, was just a, an easy matter for Jackson to slip through into the end zone. Bozeman uh, had two pancakes in the game. Uh, just a very positive game. I've, I've got really nothing negative to say about him in terms of, of, of what he did in this one. All right, that's great. Maybe sometime we'll have to get a PFF guy on the show to compare the way you two uh, grade these guys. I, th- I think we could do that. There's some they have Baltimore guys locally, and I All think right. that maybe we could get them to come on. All right, uh, let's move on with Skura. He's been struggling lately. Did he turn it around this game? Yeah, so he had two consecutive Fs, and and he really had a very good game in this game. Uh, he had a single full pressure that he allowed to Davenport, and that was in quarter three. Now, Davenport is an interesting character because I think of him as basically being drafted as a defensive end, a- edge rusher, but they had, they line him up all over, including over center in this game. So they were actively trying to take advantage of Skura on the bull rush, and he got him once, uh, pushed him back uh, hard. Flacco fl- got flushed up in the pocket on the play, and Yanda absolutely drilled him. And then uh, Flacco, I believe, completed that that pass for either 14 or 18 yards so that uh, uh that was a good one and uh skura had a pancake and and you know the, the weird thing is skura getting into level two and making blocks on the quarterback sneak he had one that was one of his highlights or his highlight in this game uh was getting into level two and making a block on klein uh, he had seven total blocks in level two, which is a lot for a center. Uh, of course, facing a 4-3 defense, you're more likely to get a guy to level two from center than you are from guard. So uh, that's a that's a consideration. This fact that you face a 3-4, you're more likely more likely to have guards making level two blocks. It's still exceptional for Skura to have seven blocks in level two. So uh, he scored .88 raw score, and that's a B-plus after adjustment. So uh, very happy from that game. It's out of Skura. All right. Uh, Marshall Yanda's next guy on the line, and he's the guy. He he's been consistent all year. He's the guy who we can count on. So I'm yeah. assuming it continued. Yeah, very much so. And and I uh, I don't know what the line would do. I don't know what they'll do when Yanda retires. But he's holding that that line together with with play between two players who often need help. Skura and whoever has been playing at right tackle. It's been Hurst up to this point. And Brown in this game, frankly, needed help. But he's he's been the guy who's been able to do it. He knows which way to turn. He knows to pin, and he knows to then bail out and help. I mean, he just knows what he's knows what he's doing. In play. He makes good individual blocks in terms of pass blocking when he has to. Uh, he makes good run blocks, and he's adapted well to really whatever he's needed to do, including a level two. The only thing he hasn't done well this year so far is pull. And frankly, most of the Ravens' uh, pull blocks come from left to right. They're a right-handed team. And a lot of uh, teams like to pull behind their right tackle. And I think the more Orlando Brown plays there, the more that will continue to be the case. 
So I expect there'll be less pulling obligations for Yonda uh, as the season moves on. But uh, outstanding game again from him, .88 raw score at guard, and after adjustment, that's an A. All right, great. Uh, Hurst was a late st- a late scratch on uh, this past week, and that gave Orlando Brown Jr. the chance to start. We've been talking a lot about him in the preseason, waiting for his opportunity. He got it on Sunday. And very excited, of course, to see Orlando in, in his first start. He played well in about half a game's worth of snaps uh, in, in various action. Buffalo was his big one. He had about 30 snaps in that game. And then he had more, uh, a few in heavy formations and whatnot. Uh, he, in this game, surrendered parts of four pressures. One full, as I scored it, in three half. Um, he had two partial surrenders. He centered, centered, sorry, surrendered to Okafor and Jordan which were the product of speed rushes. Now, I know a lot of people, remember, thought that Orlando has slightly slower feet. He's a bigger, more ponderous guy, and that he would have trouble with speed. Well, the Saints didn't really use too much speed to try and beat him. Now, some of it may be a product of he's getting help. They know they'll face chip blocks with speed, but they just didn't try too much. And, and two partial pressures from speed is not a bad result at all from a first game for Orlando Brown. Very happy with that. And... Uh, uh, he otherwise did very well um, and uh, missed missed four blocks in level two early on, uh, had six missed total blocks in the game. and A lot of that was having trouble blocking in space. Now, being a bigger guy, it's going to be harder for him uh, to get into level two. You have to know who your target is first, which that he can, he can be trained and improve on. But being able to get to that target can still be a difficult thing. And the one penetration he allowed, which is allowing a negative run play, was actually a case where he missed a block in level two to allow it to occur on a stretch right that that, uh, Collins ran for a loss of three. So good game for Orlando Brown. I think there are two things I really liked about his game that went beyond his uh, his grade. I think he's going to be a guy who can do what is necessary to minimize the frequency of severity of pass blocking errors because of something sometimes because of his football IQ I think he is just fast enough to give ground to speed rushers without giving up the sack or the quarterback hit to speed rushers necessarily and I think he is good enough with his size and his arm length in particular to be good at at getting the the anchor and not giving up a bunch of bull rushes so I'm very positive on that and the other thing I mentioned earlier was that he's a big guy who has at least the mobility necessary to use the the lineman next to him as a spacing player that makes it easier for him to seal. So to seal, you the, the, the tackle moves slightly into level two, kind of halfway into level two, and then blocks a linebacker who may be trying to scrape the line of scrimmage and and get to a to a play that's moving to the right. Well he's going to be very good at that and he can he can start off by blocking the man next to him and then he can combination into level two and use the fact that there's a man to his immediate left to to reduce the amount of space that he has to cover and and that's something i'll see i think we'll see a lot from brown is that he'll usually take that inside block as opposed to the outside or kick out block uh on the uh the outside defender whether that's an, an edge rusher or perhaps a safety or even a a cornerback but i think he'll be better at that inside block so i like that a lot about brown this game just to see for him which is fine uh you know for his first game and he's, he's really about a b average overall between his two games uh very happy with that i think we'll see more of orlando brown i don't know it looks like hurst has missed practice again so it, it will probably see another start from brown i would think this week 
And then after that, I'm really not sure where how the line will be reshuffled because they've got seven guys now competing for five spots. And Bozeman and Brown both played pretty well, even though it was a losing effort. And it'll be interesting to see how they reshuffle when Lewis and Hurst return. Right. It's one of those bad problems to have. Or a good problem good, to good have. Problems, Sorry. Yes. Yeah, it's a um, very good problem. All right. I, I almost don't want to talk about this because we, we did talk about the the play at the end of the game and we talked about how our confidence isn't lost on Tucker. It's it's mm-hmm. just stuff like that happens. Um but a whole lot of uh social media experts came out immediately after the uh the missed kick saying, Oh well the Ravens should have went for two and uh saying, Oh well clearly Hart John made the wrong mistake. He was supposed to do this and uh he was set up for that to fail. But that's a lot easier to say after Tucker misses the the field the extra point. Yes, it, it it's it certainly is, and I I'm not focused on whether or not Tucker made the play. I want to look back at the judgment to make it at all, and I I would start the assumption with the assumption for purposes of that discussion that Tucker's chance to make the kick kick was very close to 100. percent Yeah, I think it was. You have yeah. to assume he's going to make it based on whatever 200 something straight. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, 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 and so I, this is definitely not a Tucker bashing argument. The, the, the thing is, the question is, did the Ravens really make the right call uh, going for one as opposed to two? And this is a really weird situation. It's actually something I never have seen before. Or I can never remember occurring before. So I wanted to make sure that I talked this through. And I realize now that a podcast is the better place to do it because the listener is kind of forced to evaluate what I'm saying as opposed to just reacting negatively to the title of the article, which is what everybody else has done on Twitter or on oh, and, you know, yes, that's a problem. read the thing. It's too yes. complex. Here, here's the difference, guys. There, there are two ways in which you can look at this. You can look at it solely on your chance to win this game. And then I think the, the chance the, the the try for two was probably the better choice. Or at least you can make a case for it. Because the a try for two will give you you win or you lose it probably on that play. The Saints don't have a re- don't have any significant chance to come back and win the game in the final seconds after a two point conversion is made, and the Ravens probably are not going to uh, come back and and kick an onside kick and and get the ball back if the if the conversion is missed. They certainly didn't make it happen in this game with their onside kick. But what you what you need to look at is what's the probability of winning in overtime? And and I unfortunately I think the overtime rules of First score can be a touchdown, but there's also a responsive drive would have favored the Saints. Now, I know people talk about momentum and whatnot, but the fact of the matter is Drew Brees is very good at sustaining drives, and he showed that the entire game. He could have used up most of the first most of the, the time uh, driving down the field, I'm afraid, uh, for any sort of scoring drive in, in overtime, and then the Ravens would have had to make a reaction drive if they'd have lost the toss. If the Ravens had won the toss, there's even a greater fear in some sense because if Flacco didn't drive for a touchdown, and of course he had on the previous drive, but if Flacco didn't drive for a touchdown, then a response drive would have been a four-down drive for for Breeze, meaning it's it's all or nothing for four downs. And and we saw that Breeze was not stringing together any incompletions, and there was no evidence that the Ravens are going to put together big defensive plays 
to get the game won on a four down drive. Right. So I, I would have been very afraid that, that any kind of response drive after a field goal would have probably led to a, at least a field goal from the Saints and, and, and probably a, uh, uh, you know, quite possibly a touchdown to lose the game. So, sure, sure. The, the drive to start the game being so long that that would have just driven all of overtime. Uh, and the fact that they scored 17 points in the fourth quarter means I'm not giving the momentum to the Ravens just because they drove down the field uh, uh, 30 seconds before. Yeah, re- really good point there. And and obviously that drive didn't tire out the Saints defense. Not not in my opinion anyway. They were on the field right. for six or seven straight plays, but then they had a three-minute break to get the coin flipped and all that. I just I can't really fall into that. I, I do think the Ravens, who had, who had played substantially more snaps, probably were a little more tired. So I can see the logic for game circumstances only of going for two and trying to just trying to decide that game right there. Okay, and in fact, in the stands, I was saying, I, you know, maybe they should go for two right here because it seems like that's the better chance to win the game. But then I, I got home and I th- started thinking about it a little more, and I'm thinking there's actually another thing to consider here because you go to overtime, you don't just win or lose. You can talk about it in terms of expected wins, but usually saying a win is you know 40%, a loss is 40%, a tie is 20%. So we've got you know 0.5 expected wins in overtime. But that tie actually has a different value, and a specifically a different value to the Ravens as the play so far this year has gone, and as the playoff race, and more specifically the division race, is setting up. A tie had incremental value. So a tie would have done two things. It would have meant that the head-to-head loss to the Bengals would not have been significant. Because the Bengals don't have a tie. The Ravens, if they tied, would have a tie. And then they would have essentially been a half game uh, either ahead or behind the Bengals. But in either case, it would have meant that the that the tie, sorry, the the head-to-head loss to the Bengals wouldn't have mattered unless either the Bengals or, or Ravens have a further tie this season. So uh, that would have been a very positive outcome for the Ravens from that point. And then the other one, the Steelers already have a tie, and they have invalidated the fact that the Ravens won the head-to-head matchup in Pittsburgh and have another game still to go where the, where the Ravens easily could secure a 2 nothing head-to-head advantage, not to mention the divisional wins that go with that, and also have... A, um, a, a the possibility of actually tying them in the standings, which they don't now, without a, another tie happening for either team. So right. a tie would have, to, to, to summarize again, would have invalidated the Bengals' previous head-to-head win, and it would have revalidated the head-to-head win the Ravens had over the Steelers. Those are very significant gains. So I think for the playoff race, it was it was a better choice to play for overtime. You know, in overtime, to play very conscious of the of the fact that a tie has high value for you. Not as it's not as valuable as a win, but it's pretty damn close in this case for winning the division. And it would have been a you know a better choice to go for one. So in the in the end, I think you know looking back on the decision, it's the right call. It didn't work out, obviously. Tucker missed the kick, but I think it was the right kick to go for right try to go for one. Right. So the win's always best, but a tie is better than a loss. There you go. Um, Much better than a loss, in particular in, in the division race. All right. To pull it out, a kind of full circle, if they did go for two, would you go with the QB sneak? You know, I, I think a reasonable choice would be to go with Lamar Jackson on the field. 
and you know see what you could do from it's two yards out yeah it's it, it you know they go on every other third and two fourth and two he's that patient runner you can find the hole i mean it is a problem that you know that that, that he's probably going to run the ball himself but we also uh, saw him throw it earlier in the game yeah he and and that obviously could be a portion so you're gonna you're gonna take fades to each corner you're gonna try and spread the field as much as you can you can go empty backfield with him or you can go with with collins in there and and run some sort of uh run pass option uh deal and and hope collins can get in so i think they'd had a lot of options i think they probably would have had a 50 percent chance or so to get it and you know given that i think that you know it would have been certainly an exciting play and i think it would have been a you know a reasonable alternative all right uh, let's get to just a couple mailbag questions tonight. Sure. So, uh, again, hit us up on Twitter with the hashtag film study mailbag or leave comments on the uh, articles over on Russell Street Report to get them answered here in the mailbag segment. So, first one up is the Ravens may have the best overall D in the NFL from back end to front seven or eight, but inconsistency seems to plague us. I can't pinpoint it. What is holding us back from overcoming uh, this up up one week down the next? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously it's a very difficult question. I mean, I think the biggest thing I would say is that it's been the offense that's let the let the defense down more than the other way around. So even in the Saints game, uh, I think the defense did what they needed to do to win. And I think that's been true every game this year. Uh, if you look at the Browns game, it certainly was true. They allowed twelve points in you know seventy minutes. That's a that's a winning. Uh, formula. It should have been anyway. Um, you know, you look back to the Bengals game. It was really the defense in the first half without C.J. Mosley and with Owasu wearing the green dot helmet that lost that ball game. It was the 28 points in that in that short space. The offense really did its job, but the but the defense failed them for that one half of the of the season. I think going forward, I think that that element of consistency is taken care of by having Weddle wear the green dot. So I don't expect that to 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 reappear. I actually think the Ravens are in very good shape for the playoffs. There's still probably a, a 65, 70% chance to make it. Uh, I do believe they're the best team in the AFC North. It doesn't mean they'll necessarily win it, but they have an opportunity to try and put it away at home with three games against divisional foes. So hopefully hopefully they sweep those, and that would certainly put them in an outstanding position to uh, to win the division. But in terms of consistency, you know, they are solving these problems kind of one at a time. Some of the offensive line issues I think have been – have been solved on the offensive side, and I think uh, some of the ability to get the running game going again is probably there. If I look on the defensive side, I think they've really done everything they needed to do since that first Thursday in Cincinnati when uh, Mosley's injury set them back. All right. Um, one more question. It wasn't a lot of snaps, but did Grisou look like he could handle center duties? Not, not to me. Um, he allowed one pressure in 12 uh, snaps. I, there's nothing that that I saw that said he'd be the guy, and and I wouldn't know if he's really ready to start making the line calls and doing the other things Skura do. But I, I I wouldn't have any reason at this point to try Gressu over Skura, given the game Skura just had. And I think Skura can kind of save his bacon if he has a game this good every third week and just doesn't doesn't have an F every other week. Let's right. put it that way. Gotcha. All right, Ken, there's a brand new article up on Russell Street Report. There you go. It's uh, So there's several this week. Uh, go out, take a look. But if you really want to look at the QB sneak information, and I, I really would love you to look at the film on the QB sneak, it's out there, all the time references. In this case, we actually loaded the video there. And I'd love for you to take a look at that. And uh, uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at Film Study Ravens. 
that, them. That's, all, that's also where you can comment if you don't read articles and just like the bash based on headlines, you can <laughs> go there and comment on the uh, on the should they go for two con. There you go. Article. There you go. It's a, and, and pretty much every comment out there is a bash, which I, I if you, you you look for certain clues, but there's evidence that a lot of those people did not read the uh, the article itself. Yes, I, I can pretty <laughs> much be sure that that I see that a lot for other articles as well. So tell us about Birdland Radio. What's what's uh, new Bird, in terms of podcasts? So uh, over at Birdland Sports, there's new podcasts up, of course, by Film Study, by uh, Section 336 and Dade's View. Oh, and there's a new Birdland BS up there as well. So lots of plenty of new content up there uh, this week to talk Ravens. What's, what's out there on Birdland BS? Because I, I don't follow that one, but I'd love to hear about it. That's uh, that's Ravens Talk and Orioles Talk, and they are very heavy Ravens Talk right now. Okay. So, um, yeah, so we've got kind of... A lot of Ravens talk going on up there, and then Section 336 if you want to get into some frustrated Oriole fans. <laughs> so, Is there another type? <laughs> Not right now. All right, Ken. Well, uh, enjoy the weekend, and we'll talk on Monday. Well, it's good, Josh. We're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii.